Hello and welcome to the More Than Mostly Comedy podcast. I'm Glyn Doggett. And I'm David Fgrave. And together we make... Doggett and Fgrave. You can tell we've worked together for like 18 years or whatever it is because that was beautifully tight. That's it, you know. And it doesn't help that there's a little delay because we're doing this via Zoom. So, you know, that's... Uh... But anyway, thank you for joining us here for another More Than Mostly Comedy. It's lovely to have you here with us. Yeah. Um, and tonight's an exciting one because it's uh, a very popular chap, James Acaster. Hmm. It is indeed, yeah. Very, very popular. And I met a fantastic audience, uh, mm. a Zoom audience, I should say, not a live audience, but a Zoom audience. And um, and More yeah, than was... we've ever had on any other one that we've recorded, Glenn. Yeah, so that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, and James is a, a sort of, a, well, I mean, he's a very special act, but also um, he's sort of um, personally significant to us because he mm. played the second ever Mosey comedy back in 2008 in uh, October 2008, I believe, mm. or maybe it was November, and has played just about every venue. I think he's played every venue until the most recent one we've got. And, you know, he's one of those people we've seen. He was a, he was starting out, and then he became this huge sort of cult, popular act that has written books, done all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so we've sort of known him for a long time, haven't we? We've, we've watched him blossom. We, ha- so we have, and I said it on the podcast, but it is it is nice to see him. It's, I sort of feel proud because he was he was part of that originally. In fact, he was probably one of the first, if not the first, act that we didn't know that we had at mm. Mostly Comedy because yeah. we started as a a thing with uh, a friend of ours, a couple of friends of ours that were stand ups um, and us. And then I think he was probably the second gig and the first person that was a stand up uh, yeah. that that we didn't know. So it, it was kind of the original. Yeah. It was one of two. It was him and David Trent. That's right, yeah. um, Us and the other friends we had. So yeah, he was absolutely that. And at the point when we went, shit, we've got no more acts now. What the hell do we do? We've started this new monthly comedy night. We better just let anyone in. And you'll hear the story in the thing, but he Mm. was there and... We were quite lucky on that second gig, to be fair, because he's, we the, he's the only person to have been nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award five consecutive times. Only yeah. person to have done that. And many of those shows that he was nominated on previewed it mostly. So, right, um, yeah. And he's always um, stuck around and done stuff for us. So Absolutely. It's, it's nice to, yeah. to still do that. But now uh, you, we might as well get on with it and listen to the interview. So here we have James Acaster. So we're here for another uh, In Your House interview, and today we're in James Acaster's house. How are you doing, James? You all right? Very well, thank you, guys. How are you? Good. Good, yeah, yeah. Not uh, not too bad. How are you? How's the last year been? I mean, it's a big question to start with, but I mean, it's how has... In 20 words. <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> you know, like everyone else, uh, you know, ups and downs. I'd like the world to be doing better uh, mm-hmm. as a whole. And uh, hopefully uh, whenever stuff does get back to anything resembling normal, we can uh, move forward better than we were before. That would be nice. Um, yeah. On a personal level, um, I haven't minded not seeing loads of people all the time and yeah. things like that and having a bit of a quieter life. Um, yes. That's just me and my own my own little existence i'm not saying that there's any of this has been good but yeah. it's like it was wor- it was worth it just for us to be able to do just sit at home and not have to yeah do you find like i don't know about you but i've almost got a bit of anxiety about like just literally going back to normality because this has become i'm so used to seeing people in two dimensions now it's like yeah, yeah. You know. it's tough i mean I, I do it at the school gate with the kids and i, I am struggling with the you know personal contact <laughs> just the just the communication it is an effort masks yeah. are a good thing at the moment because it kind of avoids having to do too much chat. yeah but you do you do kind of go oh yeah i, I don't miss this you know no. yeah also you can't tell at the minute if when i'm in those situations i'm feeling anxious because you know this whole thing isn't completely resolved yet 
And mm. so I'm still feeling like, you know, should we all be doing this? Not sure. Yeah. Or if it's because I genuinely just don't like being around people. And <laughs> I've re- and this last year has helped me realise that. So yeah, yeah. time will tell. You, yeah. you found your comfortable place. I mean, you found your, your zone where you can be. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's my, why did I spend so much time out of the house <laughs> going <laughs> travelling around the world trying to make people laugh when yeah. I could have stayed here and been happier? Who knows? Yeah. It's true. Um, I've got a very big question to ask you, actually, James, because you played like um, the second ever Mostly Comedy we did in 2008. And obviously you've been to like pretty much all of the venues. But you're just about the only act I know uh, who stayed at Glyn's parents' house um, after the gig. So I don't know if you remember that. I I was just going to ask, was it a good experience? Was there a good breakfast? Do you remember? Do you even remember that? I do remember it. Yeah, I do remember because you you have a lovely family. Everyone was very, uh, very nice to me as well. Like, you know, I'd sat around that time. Um, I lived in Kettering still. Yeah. And so there was like certain gigs that I had further afield where I couldn't get back home. And I was staying on a lot of people's sofas, a lot of people's <laughs> spare rooms who I didn't know, yeah. but I'd never met before. Um, and everyone was pretty more or less nice to me uh, in those years. I had some people who were a bit weird and I would think oh, maybe I would have been better off, you know, <laughs> not staying at this person's house and sleeping in the, in the train station instead. Yes. But <laughs> Glyn's family were extremely welcoming, hospitable. It was lovely. I can't remember the details of the breakfast but that's in many ways a good thing the weirdest thing is i, I can't remember why but you stayed at my parents house and i wasn't there <laughs> so, yeah i, I know I you weren't there. somewhere else um, i definitely remember that you weren't there because it was like but then sometimes that's easier sometimes you yeah, know you, you're, you're not distance. hanging out with the people you did the gig with you just go straight to, straight to yeah. bed at someone else's house <laughs> yeah. uh yeah it, it, it was not i mean the fact that i can't remember the breakfast is a good thing i'd say yes you remember right. the, the excellent breakfasts and the awful ones yeah. and everything in between yeah. I don't think I was eating much breakfast back then, actually. I was skipping the most important meal of the day quite a lot. That's crazy. It literally is. The, it's the best meal of the day, I think. Really I'm, actually, you know what? I'm just glad you didn't say anything hurtful because my dad's in li- listening tonight. So, uh-huh. you know, you just, you've, uh, you've done well with that. Papa, Papa dog it. He's yeah, there. He's in. The other thing yeah. that amused me today, because, like, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we know you and we've seen you a lot and, and everything and know what you've been mm. up to to a degree. But you do that thing, like, you know, you suddenly go, oh, shit, do I actually know anything about, you know, really? Do I know? Because obviously, there can be a lot of people in tonight yeah. who know your stuff, like, inside out. But I went on to Google, as you do. Um, and, yes. you know, you have, like, the Google questions, suggestions. And one of the first ones which amused me was, what's James A. Castor up to? What is he up that's to? Great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's another big question, though, isn't it? It's like, yeah. what does that mean? What's he up to, yeah, that what's guy? To? What's he doing? What's he, yeah. I think Googling that. I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. Google that because I, I would assume nothing would come up because it's too colloquial. Yeah. Like, that kind of like, what's yeah. someone up to? It's too informal. Yeah, just yeah. put your name in. Just I would put... assume you wouldn't get an actual problem. Yeah, just no. put yeah. the name in. Yeah. You'll find out. What's yeah. he up to? So bizarre, a, but yeah. That's I like don't... right now. That's what people want to know right yeah. now. Yeah, what exactly. is he doing? What's he do? yeah, that's exactly. scary stuff. Yeah. yeah. Wait, was he, he, yeah. I wonder if he's watching Emmerdale or something. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. But what has your last year been like? I mean, what did you have like big plans for this year that were changed or um you know i know obviously like you said it's been quite nice to not see people but you know what what have you been what are you up to really is the thing i'm asking (laughs) i didn't have anything planned really because i i just finished the biggest tour i'd ever done uh at the end of 2019 and until then i'd never really given myself any time off of doing stand-up so i'd had since 2008 when i started in january all the way through to December 2019, just not really ever uh, having a break. So I was like, honestly, have a break. So the plan anyway was take 2020 off and not do any live shows and just focus on writing things that weren't stand up. So that's all I did. So I've stayed at home and um, I've been writing a new book and uh, I've been writing um, other things which 
may or may not happen scripted stuff where you know they're all at different stages and doing a lot of recording podcasts um yeah i do off menu with ed gamble and i do my own music podcast on bbc sounds so i've been doing those on a weekly basis and really enjoying recording podcasts from home and Mm. i've also been doing a uh music project with uh musicians around the world and it's the thing that you know before lockdown happened um or before i even thought there was going to be a pandemic i'd recorded loads of drums in the studio just for my own kind of enjoyment and then the pandemic hit and i had all these drum tracks and so i just started sending them to musicians that i knew and messing around over the internet with people and uh built steadily built an album up out of that which is hopefully going to be finished by the end of this year uh that's been amazing i've enjoyed that Mm -hmm. so much so just doing a bunch of different stuff that i can do from from home really that's cool. It's quite interesting. Like, so, do you send you send them the drum track without any other sort of um, so nothing else on it yet, and let them do what they want. Different with it, stages or? for different people. So to begin with, I yeah, I had I had drums that were recorded by myself and uh, a jazz drummer who like I'm a massive fan of called Seb Rockford, and right. um, he had played over the top of my drums, and I kind of sent those tracks like those double track drums to a musician in uh, Barcelona called Joanna Gamila. And she spent a weekend improvising simps and vocals over them. And then I cut those improvisations into tracks and sent them to a musician called John Dietrich, who's in a band called Deerhoof uh, in America. And he put loads of uh, music over the top of her improv and my drums. And then I've started sending them to vocalists and rappers and people that I really admire uh, to sing on those instrumentals. Uh, So, yeah, it's kind of built up slowly. And each time it comes back to me, I'll edit it and chop it up and, you know, get it to, so it's where I want it to be and send it to the next person. Um, and we're at, you know, we're at this stage now where there's about three people left out of like, I think there's been 32 people in total contributing to it. So three people now who are returning their stems. I've got some, yeah, a rapper, a, uh, a, a guy doing a bunch of noise, synth noise on stuff and a right. sitar player. And I'm Brilliant. waiting on those three. And then when they're done, uh, I'm mixing it later in the year. So you're producing it all yourself, you're editing it all yourself then? Yeah, so that's new, that's really new to me. I wanted to do something that, you know, I I wasn't familiar with. I thought during this time, it'd be good to learn new skills. You know, I I could already play drums and, you know, kind of basically put together tracks from when I used to be in bands, but producing is a new skill. So like, Hmm. yeah, I've basically been doing that and uh, that's been amazing. Like, um, I think just being able to sit down at your laptop now and arrange songs uh, for ages uh, just like feels like, just this unlimited creativity. You can just do whatever you like um, sitting at home. Yeah, it's yeah. been good. Yeah. I think like it's been interesting that this sort of time particularly has been really productive for a lot of people, like musically, particularly because a lot of people brought out albums across the pandemic that wouldn't have happened, like everything from, you know, I'm a big McCartney fan, so I was going about him. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney through to like Taylor Swift, I think released two albums in that time. So do you think you would have done, I mean, was this something you were going to do anyway, or is it something you've really done because you've had this time? I was going to do something anyway. I, I I had to pick up my drum kit from my parents' house because uh, it, it's been there for over 12 years. <laughs> um, and they just always get having a go at me. Oh, you have to take it out the house now. And so I'd finally gone, okay, I'll come and get it. And I didn't want to just get the drum kit from their house, which is which was all had been packed up in these in, the, in its cases for 12 years and just move it in its cases into my flat. I wanted to do something with it. So I thought it would be fun. I hadn't played drums properly in 12 years. They hadn't been played in 12 years. Take them to a studio, get them all out, don't tune them and just play them solid and improvise for two days after having not played in over a decade yeah. and then get a professional jazz drummer who plays every single day 
to come in and tune that same kit and play over the top of what I've done. Fantastic. Um, and so like he did that and then, yeah. And then it went into the drum kit, went into storage and then this hit. <laughs> that's, yeah. so that's, that's been, that's been that really. I've, I've now, now donated the drum kit to a school that I used to work at. So they have it there. Um, cool. But like, uh, yeah, I was kind of going to do something anyway, but didn't know what it was and didn't know what the plan was. And then when this happened, you just go, well, I'll take advantage of this. All my yeah. favourite musicians are currently at home. Mm. So, you know, I'll chance my luck and contact them. Funny enough, I bought an electric drum kit when this started because it's the one yeah. instrument I've not really ever like sat down and properly done. You know, one of the things. Yeah. So, so it was the same sort of thing. I thought, well, yeah, I'll use this as a chance to, you know, because sometimes you think you get a bit shut off. You go, well, I've sort of, I, this is who I am. This is what I do. These, This is the routine, which I imagine mm. must be the case for you, like when you're putting together shows and stuff. And actually going, do you know what? I can actually change the story a little bit and do something I haven't done before. So anytime you get kind of like you're repeating yourself creatively, the joy of being self-employed is that you actually don't have to yes. do the same yeah. thing again. Yeah. You know, it might be financially, you know, more safe to do the same thing again. Yeah. But like you kind of go, I don't want to write another show right now. It doesn't mean I'm never going to write another stand-up show, mm-hmm. but I can just do this and uh, and just see how it goes. And yeah. Joe, what when I started out in stand-up, I had no money um, and I was just like, you know, chancing it. And there's nothing to stop me chancing it ever again. Yeah, you know, I've got. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable now than I was when I started. But if I absolutely fuck it and I go back to being skint, <laughs> yeah. then I've already been skint once and not yeah, know what yeah. I'm doing. So I'll just do that. I've got no kids, so yeah. no one's dependent yeah. on me. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I saw McCartney once. You know? Oh, did you? Uh, in by mistake. I was walking, the, <laughs> I, I'd done Josh Widdicombe's radio shows. This was a long time ago when we were doing the XFM show. And uh, I was walking just through Soho and I, and I wandered into Covent Garden and it was rammed. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Why is it busy? And I noticed there was a stage. And then suddenly yeah. McCartney walked on and it was promoting the, the new, new album. It? Yeah. yeah, it was called New. And he just walked on and said, everyone get him. But then I was like, fucking hell, McCartney is here. <laughs> and I was like, pretty close, because it's, it, it's Covent Garden. So yeah. like, you know, anywhere was like, would be an amazing seat in an arena. Yeah. And I was there like, oh my God. And then he says to the audience, everyone get your iPhones out. And then just a sea of iPhones and iPads went up in front of me. And it was like mm. the worst view. So I, I found myself watching two songs. So I was like, I have to watch McCartney. And then after two songs, I just kind of went, Oh, fuck this. Like, I can't see. <laughs> like, everyone's filming him on their goddamn phones. You see, this could yeah. be an amazing moment for us all. You if know, you just like, experienced it. <laughs> what do you think about, you know, walking past the Apple building and they're on the roof? If yes. everyone just went, and, yeah. that was it. and yeah. then you're like, well, that's that. Yeah, it's not special that I was there anymore. I want to say to anyone who's listening who's like from America or anything, that is what the UK is always like. You just go around the corner, McCartney's there. It's just a standard British thing. You're always doing a gig, yeah. 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 I saw him, it was the same uh, time. I won tickets for his Maida Vale thing he did and it was like about 150 people and it was like ridiculously close. So bizarre when like, because I met him as well and that sort of thing when you meet someone who is so iconic and as you meet them, you think all those little moments in your head, like you say on the roof or like, you know our world or something it's just, yeah it's crazy it's such a bizarre thing astonishing yeah yeah i mean i suppose in a way as well how is it for you to be in a situation where you know going from like you say like chancing it to being a recognizable face that you know inspire a lot of people as well do you is it a weird thing have you got comfortable with it yet it's weird if you uh, pay too much attention to it because you actually don't know uh that yeah because if you start to think about it it might feel weird but that's because you don't actually know what it is. It's not really real. Like I, I'm a fan of loads of musicians, loads of comedians, actors, whatever. And really I'm a fan of their work and that's what I like. And uh, the person themselves isn't 
it doesn't really factor into it that much. And I try and remember that, that people might be a fan of my stand-up, but like uh, there's probably a healthy sort of fandom where they're a fan of the stand-up and I don't really come into it that much. Hmm. And it's actually fine and I can carry on just doing whatever. Also, when you start viewing everything, as like, you know, anything you do is just a bonus. Like, so it's, it's just hmm. so nice to have anything do even a little bit well or find its audience. And then I guess if you start thinking too much about the audience or whatever, then you stop doing what you what got you there in the first place, which mm. was just creating stuff that you liked and mm. uh, and and you know stuff that I would genuinely like to watch. So not being self indulgent and trying to make something that if I wasn't doing it, I would enjoy it uh, as as an audience member. Um, and then yeah, as long as you stick to that and you don't think of anything else outside of it, it's fine. And because I'm not on social media or anything like that, I don't really see you know that side of things too often. It's yeah. it's kind of all right. So. Um, yeah, there were, there were times when it was a bit weird adjusting to stuff. Um, but as soon as you kind of go, oh, none of that is has anything to do with me, I can just ignore that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, then you just enjoy the freedom to do what you like. And, you know, you kind of just think, well, I'll continue to do whatever project it is I want to do at the time. And I guess if I mess up enough times in a row, I won't <laughs> have that luxury anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'll have to just do whatever pays the bills. Um, but like, yeah, at the moment, as I say, I don't really have a life that requires that much money. So like I can just uh, yeah. stick to doing the projects that I enjoy. And uh, as long as I still get to do that, then um, yeah, I'm happy. That's yeah. great. Um, what really sort of um, satisfies you now creatively? Do you find yourself actually, um, can you live your life normally or do when you're thinking about material, do you find yourself as things happening going, oh, how can I use this? You know, is, mm. is it easy for you to, can you switch off from that comedy mind now do you think yeah i can now when i started out i couldn't when i was you know first time i did mostly in stuff my whole life as a new brand new comedian was everything was like is that funny is that funny is that a thing is that a thing Mm. does everyone relate to that Uh, can i put that into a routine what sort of routine should it be is it a story is it a one-liner is it i'm just like constantly thinking about it and doing my own head in and Mm. really like think to myself is this ever going to end because if it doesn't i should not do stand up because mm. my life is just going to be a cacophony of noise in my head all the time. Yeah. And obviously, as you guys know, as you progress and you learn, you develop a filter for stuff and you develop this subconscious thing that lets cer- certain things like turn a light on in your head and make you go, Oh, there's something in that. There's something funny there. That's an interesting story or whatever, but they're not, it's not everything all the time. So like, and whenever, you know, I'm doing a new show, a new stand-up show, I just book in loads of work in progress shows before I've got any idea. And then most of the time on the way to that gig, start thinking about what I'm going to talk about. So I'm, I'm on stage in, you know, an hour and I've got to talk for an hour. Mm. What do I want to talk about today? And just go with whatever the thing is that, that you know, you want to discuss. And as long as, you know, as long as you follow that impulse each time, whatever the creative impulse is, whether it's, you know, back in the day, it might be, I want to tell them that I'm an undercover cop and I'll mess around with that. (laughs) And then another, yeah. And then the most recent show was like, do you know what? I just want to talk about the stuff that's genuinely on my mind at the minute in my real life. And because they're work in progress shows, it doesn't matter if it fails. And that kind of embracing that failure frees up the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) but you can just live your life and then you can go and you know actually all the kind of is this funny is this not that went out on in your head constantly before you don't have to ask yourself that Mm. go on stage try it all out and you'll find out if it's funny or not and Mm. as long as you can you know accept that some people especially nowadays might come and see you do a work in progress and uh come away and go 
he's lost it. That was shit. He's a, <laughs> I had a friend, I had a friend go and see Stuart Lee, who was a, my friend was a massive Stuart Lee fan, but not mm. a stand-up and not involved in comedy. And he'd seen all of Stuart Lee's shows on tour, so the finished versions, and was like, Stuart Lee's genius, he's my favourite comedian. And then he went to see Stuart Lee do a work in progress. And I spoke to him the next day and he went, he's lost it. He's lost his touch. He can't, this show's not as good as his other shows. And I was like, wasn't it, wasn't it a work in progress for like two quid? And he was like, <laughs> Well, yeah, but it's not as good. He was still performing it like it. I was like, no, that's not finished, mate. Yeah. He's not finished it yet, but he didn't see it like that. So you always have to remember that when, you know, some people know what a work in progress is. Some people don't. Yeah. But again, it's like just taking that hit. The stakes are a bit higher now. People know who you are. Some of them are going to come away and say his new show is shit before <laughs> it's finished. But at the end of the day, as long as you, you know, you do what the work in progress is, you do the whole tour, which often is very long and, I think it's healthier to consider it a work in progress still. It's better for me if I do, and I'm still changing it. And at the very end of all that, you film it, and then you yeah. put it out for people. And then, yeah. yo, <laughs> that's what you all can judge it on. Yeah. <laughs> all judge it on that yeah. final thing, you know. Um, and then and then if people don't say it's shit, you go, well, fair enough, it must be shit. <laughs> <laughs> do you find as well like you sort of have conversations with an audience, particularly when you like starting new stuff, do your thoughts not really form or your opinions not really form until you're doing it? Do you find yourself like having saying things and thinking things you hadn't ever really considered until you get on stage? Sometimes, sometimes you kind of like, um, sometimes I find myself, you know, saying stuff I don't even believe for an easy laugh. Oh, yeah. And then quickly that comes out of the set and you go, I don't say that just to get a cheap, cheap laugh out of everyone. Um, sometimes, yeah, you do find yourself maybe figuring out what you think about something on stage. Uh, sometimes based on the audience's reaction to something, you know, you think that something's universal and then you talk to them and you feel them like back away or this isn't something that everyone thinks about. And then you think, Oh, I've really got to articulate this or this routine now becomes more of a kind of me making um, some sort of statement where I thought it was an observational bit. And now I've got to do it in this way where I'm kind of like making the case for something instead. Um, And, and you realize, yeah, you've got to kind of like, get behind something a bit more. I think that's the main realisation I always have is, is just like how relatable something is and how much it's just me or how much it's all of us. Um, you know, they're the big things on stage where I kind of go, oh, okay, it's, it's that. And sometimes you feel a bit um, exposed all of a sudden. You know, you mm-hmm. share something that you thought was universal and, and it's not and you feel judged or, or vulnerable. And, yeah. uh, and then you, you kind of, you find yourself reacting in a certain way on stage and trying to, justify what you've just said and people don't think you're weird and stuff um so like yeah that can happen i think in in working progresses yeah and i suppose it's weird as well because like you're saying about the working progress thing we know what that is and we're used to that but like if you're into a band or something they just play the songs or if they play a new song they play a new song and it's sort of finished so i suppose in a way it's quite a weird concept because like if you you know if you read a book you read the final draft you don't so I, yeah but then at the same time like if you're not freeing yourself up enough to do work in progress you're never going to do anything good or that you want to do because you'd be too safe wouldn't you yeah and fingers crossed that we'll all still be able to do these like oh, yeah. there is there's obviously many levels of comedy and comedian above me who are more famous more successful who for them a work in progress show is almost impossible like the whole thing with John Mulaney recently uh, and, uh, you know, you do a work in progress show and someone from a massive publication turns up and writes a whole article about it. Well, now everyone knows what he was working up and everyone's got an opinion on it. who wasn't even there. This comedian, this comedy writer who should know better. Yeah. That guy has interviewed me. I've spoke to him. He knows and he understands comedy. 
And he also knows that right now, John Mulaney is good clickbait, especially if it's about his personal life. So just for the sake of his website, has put that out there and kind of sabotaged a potential new show. You know, where that show was going to go and blossom into, you know, especially that John Mulaney's currently in the thick of all this stuff happening to him. Mm. So he's probably trying to make sense of it all as a routine, and it will take time to form this really nice show that really sums up what he wants to say about it, but he's not allowed, not afforded that luxury anymore Mm. because people go, I'll get more clicks if I do this now, especially because of work in progress. The emotions are more messy. The thoughts aren't as articulated. One of the reasons people are drawn to stand-ups sometimes as people rather than as you know, I said earlier, being drawn to the, the material and the stand-up shows is healthier than being drawn to the people. But sometimes when people get drawn to the person, it's because they buy into what they see on stage, which often is someone who has all their thoughts in line and everything is very clear because they've honed it and they've honed the routine so that they're able to say, here's what I think about this. Here's this story. Here's this part of my life. Here's who I am. Hmm. Whereas if you go and see it early, that's not as clear but it's way more fun to write about because you can make the person sound like a mess because they're trying to figure out all this stuff on stage. Uh, Loads of comics have had it happen to them. Alan Carr's had, you know, loads of uh, tabloids write about every work in progress he's ever done to try and create clickbait, say that he's slagging off other celebrities when he's not, all this kind of stuff. So you really hope that work in progress shows can in some way exist so that, you know, these comics who have, you know, those guys have worked really hard to get to where they are today Mm. can actually still have the chance to write as good a show in the future as they have done in the past and are allowed to do work in progress shows. Um, Also, the problem is, is that a lot of the time, if there's not journalists there, audience members, Mm. we're all on social media now and people Mm. will see, see something go, oh, I can tweet about this. I can Facebook about it. And my tweet or whatever will go viral and that'll be validating for me and fuck the show that that guy was trying to uh, yeah. perform. Uh, I'll, I'll just write this thing saying, he said this at the gig last night and, mm. and stuff like that. So mm. that kind of stuff can be difficult. Uh, and, you know, you can't really, then there's no solution to that. People mm. often say like, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you limit the amount of people who can turn up? Why don't you, you know, uh, uh, shut off all like, you know, electronic devices when they come in, you can, you can do a blocker. When you do that stuff, it makes the audience enjoy it less. They feel like they're being policed and and, and, yeah. and they're being controlled and then they can't laugh and enjoy the show as much. In order for comedy to work, you basically have to give the audience that responsibility to act like decent human beings. Uh, <laughs> and most of them do. You know, yeah. a, a vast uh, amount of the audience do, but the small percentage who don't are going to give the show away, do yeah. whatever, and then, uh, and you know, if their job as a journalist is to is to do that, then uh, you know, then, then you. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, you can say stop journalists from going, but you can't stop them from going if they buy a ticket and just turn no. up. You know, yeah, you, you can't. No. You, you know, if they ask for a freebie, sure, block them. Yeah. But like, you know, but it even happens at our level because, like, the first time I did a solo show, um, mm-hmm. and it was I'd been in a particularly sort of bad mental health place, and I'd been in therapy for a while, and I was sort, you know, I built it up over time, and the first like four dates I did were in Brighton on the Brighton Fringe. And then on the first day, a, a comedy uh, journalist who shall remain nameless came, and yeah. you know it was it was advertised as work in progress as well. And mm-hmm. the review I got was utterly brutal. And not only that, it listed all of my stories, so killing the right. stories. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like 
you go, I wasn't trying to change the world. I was just trying to make this first step on my own. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, it was like, I remember actually specifically coming out of a therapy appointment and then getting the notification, seeing the review and, you know, like, oh, fucking hell. And it just, and I mean, I've come around to it now and I've, I've used it in the show. But I just think, again, the responsibility of someone who is actually a comedy journalist to do that at that stage, not understanding if you don't give people a chance, where's anything new going to come from? Where are any yeah. new people going to come from? And that's like just on my level of like without any sort of profile. So you go, yeah. but then you add the profile in and like you say, you, these people, you know, like Stuart Lee doesn't get the chance to do what he does to create something really fucking good. You know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's shit, that's mad reviewing a work in progress at the Brighton Fringe. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Why <laughs> you didn't do a U-turn straight back into the therapy session, David? Can I come back? Yeah, exactly. See you later. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something new's happened. You have to clear the diary. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And there was like there was me, him, and like a friend. I think you came to that one, Glenn. In fact, there was about three people in the audience yeah, as me, well. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't me who wrote the review. No, but yeah, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> I Imagine. was there. Yeah, that would have been brilliant. We've we've got a lot of questions uh, from people who are listening in today. Um, yeah. So awesome. I'd refer to them. Unless Glenn, have you got any that stand out for uh, you? Or? I was just I was looking through. I mean, we talked about this ages ago, but someone actually did ask, "What's the best breakfast cereal?" But I mean, you know, if you don't eat breakfast, then it's not really a question. I do now. Oh, well, I'm then, a there new we go. man now. I've, I've changed since I was staying over at uh, Papa Doggett's house. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, as a Ketman boy, I have to say Weetabix. I'm sure the person yeah, who asked that question is expecting that uh, <laughs> as a response. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, my favourite, the Weetabix range is Weetos. I've got a sweet tooth. But I do also like, you know, the the mini Bix of the chocolate or the fruit uh, flavour ones. Uh, <laughs> absolutely stunning. Um, right now, I've got some uh, plain special K in the house to make me feel like a good boy. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. I sometimes buy that and mix it with fruit and then get bored really quickly and then yeah. move back to toast or something. Pretty boring. Uh, someone said here, did you ever get your laptop back after leaving it on the train before a gig in Leicester Square a few years ago? You seem pretty annoyed about it. That was Claire Wright on who, who sent us that. Oh, yeah. So funny stuff like that. You seem pretty annoyed about it. Um, you would be, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, I had turned up and I had lost it. Um, uh, but obviously, yeah, on stage, you play up the annoyance for a <laughs> comic yeah. effect yeah um it was it was pretty annoying at the time though uh that they, they had their whole this whole palaver had happened but i had like a short-lived routine out of it that i got to do on some radio four show that week and right. uh i was very grateful uh i did get it back no honestly i've left a number of laptops on trains <laughs> um really? did i get that one back I might not have, you know. There's one that I remember getting back where I, um, I'd left it on a train and I think it ended up in Manchester or somewhere. <laughs> and uh, there was a, a comic called Gareth Berliner who was uh, going to be coming back from... I, I basically just went online to search any comics hmm. who were gigging in Manchester that night, hmm. found that Gareth was and was like, dude, if you could pick up my laptop, <laughs> I, I can meet you at King's Cross, it'd be incredible. And and he did it, you know. He barely knew me. Very, you know, we've done a few gigs together. He didn't know me super well. Uh, <laughs> could have just ignored the text. Mm. Picked it up and uh, I met him at the station. I gave him a box of chocolates because <laughs> I didn't know what to get. I should have got it. But I, I thought he didn't drink, which I think might be correct. I'm not sure, but I thought I thought so I think he's teetotal. I can't get him like a wine or something. So. I got him this box of chocolates, which he also said he doesn't eat chocolates. So he, he said, he said so my, my missus will like that. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Someone's going to get something else. But uh, yeah, God bless him. He went and sorted it out for me. But uh, 
but yeah, uh, that's 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 great that, that they've remembered that. I really yeah. enjoyed doing that routine when I was doing it. Though I think I did it for mm. a small amount of time, and that was one of the ones where it was almost the opposite of what we we're talking about. It's like while the emotion was fresh, it worked really well because I could mm. lean into the annoyance of it. Uh, but uh, as soon as that was gone, I was like, "That's just a routine about leaving a laptop on a train." I mean, who cares? <laughs> Um, do you think because I, I read your uh, book Classic Scrapes which I enjoyed it was great I'm reading it at the moment uh, by the way well. yeah. um, oh, thanks and um, well there's a couple of things I'm going to ask you about that but well actually one thing I mean because obviously like you're used to a certain degree what you do now being a thing it's what you do you are a comedian so but writing a book and seeing it in a shop and you know and then it being a Sunday Times bestseller whatever it is how does that feel I mean to like the kid inside were you you know were you aware of that yeah, yeah I felt um, I mean, that's you know one of the high points of you know my career my yeah my mm-hmm. career like like one of the big things uh big influences for me getting into comedy and british comedy and wanting to be a comedian was uh dave gorman's are you dave gorman book was like you oh, know yeah. one of the kind of like most uh yeah the, the biggest kind of influences that uh, you know is that and this is spinal tap and Eddie is our stress to kill and seeing Josie Long at the road mender and uh, Dave Chappelle's for what it's worth show. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that go, all these things made me want to do it. Hmm. And I used to just, yeah, I read that and I read Google Wack Adventure and I read all of Danny Wallace's books that came off of the back of it. And I just loved those kind of like comedy books. And um, I, yeah, I started reading stuff like, you know, Bill Bryson books around that time as well, because it was similar sort of the way he told stories. And I really wanted to write a book like that one day that was just a bunch of stories about, you know, silly things or whatever that I'd done that were written in a kind of like, you know, dry way or whatever, stuff that wouldn't necessarily work as stand-up, but, mm. you know, and when I you know, did mostly comedy for the first time, it was those routines, it was those stories, and I was just doing stories from my life mm. all, all the time. Mm. And then I stopped doing them, uh, and I started doing different stuff, and then I did them on Josh's radio show. And so just to find a home for all those places in that first book, and get to write something that felt like a, you know, like a Dave Gormley book and even reference mm. Dave Gorman in the book. Yeah. There's a, one of the stories in it uh, is about me and my friends trying to do a Dave Gorman type thing when we were younger and uh, loads of me saying, you know, I realised I wasn't Dave Gorman. And uh, then one day I got a text from Dave Gorman saying that, that he was reading my book and this is nice to see. And it yeah. just felt like that That was actually more so than the bestseller list and stuff like that. Yeah. It, that was like the real highlight was going like, oh, that's literally the person who yeah. inspired me to write this book, texting me, letting me know that he's reading my book. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't sent it to him or anything. And it was just like, oh, this is this is great. And um you know, I'm really proud of the book that I did after that and that it's different, you know, it's a, it's more personal and less kind of comedy and it's more about music and this kind of mm. passion kind of, you know, love letter kind of book. And now the book that I'm writing now is just, you know, completely fictional and stupid and silly and that's a different challenge. And I'm, I, I think that's the, the thing I've really enjoyed about the, the books has just been like, yeah, try and do a new thing each time and yeah. uh, challenge yourself to do something different and, um then that leads to whatever the next project is, you know, like classic scrapes. If I hadn't done classic scrapes and written a load of true stories and then done a book tour reading those true stories, I wouldn't have done the last stand-up show that I did, which was all true stories because, you know, I started enjoying telling actual true stories on stage again during that book tour. And that made me want to delve into that again. So like, it's nice to always try something different with a book Mm -hmm. because then that opens the door for where you're going to go next elsewhere in your career stand-up mm. or whatever podcasts um yeah. you know with, with the last one as well 
It's funny that actually when I started reading um, classic scrapes, it just took me right back to like mostly the beginning of mostly when you used to turn up mostly because I think there were stories in there that you told at mostly comedy. Yes. So it was like a weird. I was like, whoa, and actually, was, I was yeah. It's quite nice to hear that you kind of went back to do them again on stage and stuff afterwards because I know like in the book you kind of said I didn't really want to tell these anymore on stage and obviously yeah. doing with Josh's radio show. So it's nice to know because that was one of the things we sort of used to love when you used to turn up and just how honest those stories were and how just, yeah. Yeah, just brilliantly well, they, told. They would work at mostly and yeah. maybe work at a gig that I used to run in Kettering. But at so many gigs, people just think I was lying because they assume that comics are lying. And at yeah. the time, I had a rule that everything yeah. had to be true. I remember you and, saying I, that. And I'm not allowed to make anything up. Yeah. And so I'd go on stage and tell this true story and then it would sometimes not work and people would come up to me afterwards and go, yeah, I just didn't believe that that happened to you. Hmm. And it was so frustrating. <laughs> and then... Hmm. But obviously Josh started at the same time as me. And when I did yeah. Josh's radio show, he was like, come on each week and tell one of those true stories that you used to do because you don't do them anymore. And like, it'd be fun. And then suddenly in that context, when you're sitting down with your mates and it's on the radio, it would be yeah. mad to lie to their faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and also you get interrogated by them. So if you've made yeah. something up, you're going to get found out pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. So you would just have, and also, you know, there was no kind of rules of what, to, there was no kind of need to make up a punchline because you would kind of workshop your way to a punchline between all of you anyway, not by yeah. making up an ending, but by just saying something funny off the back of stuff. So yeah. 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 Someone's just sent. I've got the chat up as well. Oh, yeah, and someone's on. just said that they read a short story that I wrote about a murder, and they liked it, and they hope there's more to come in that line as well. I missed that. Um, I will. I'm not going to respond to everything. They did it by direct message. It's very sneaky. You know, I, I don't. That's I don't want to encourage it? everyone to direct message me because I'm not responding <laughs> to all of them. But I will respond to that one because that short story that I wrote about a murder. One of the things I've done while in lockdown is I've turned that into a screenplay. And oh. um, hopefully it's something that me and my friends are going to make as an independent film. So that story that they've mentioned, there is more to come in that line. It's the same <laughs> story, but as a, as, a, as a feature film. But uh, who knows when we'll get around to doing that. But that is something I've really enjoyed doing as well, doing, doing all this. Do you, do you think because of that thing of, well, I know like you sort of said before, that you didn't necessarily decide to do comedy, you sort of were doing it and then you went, oh, this is what I'll do sort of thing. <laughs> but um, do you think the way things have gone for you has enabled you to do more things that you would never have ever considered you know like the freedom to go well that fuck it i can do that now i can just give it a go do you think kind of well i wanted to do everything when i was in school in secondary school and we had to like say what careers we wanted after school hmm. um i literally wrote down that i wanted to be a musician an actor a comedian a cartoonist uh, <laughs> i wanted to make films i wanted to you know do a have my own radio show i just yeah. wrote all this stuff and my teacher told me to take it seriously and start and and like choose one or choose something more practical and all that stuff. And I didn't want to go to university and I didn't want to, and I didn't go to university, but like, you know, all that stuff, I didn't get why I would do that because, you know, I remember kind of realizing for the first time when I was a kid that I was going to die one day. And then just from that moment on thinking like, why would I do anything I don't want to do? (laughs) That is, uh, you know, if I don't have to do it. And uh, I was like, well, I don't have to go to university, so I'm not going to. And it was always just like, do whatever. And I think like I chose music as the thing that I was going to do because that was what I was most passionate about as a teenager. And when that kind of like, you know, got a bit rocky and I didn't want to go through the whole kind of palaver of like forming yet another band and trying to make other people care about it. Yeah. Um, I just started stand up because it was something I could do on my own. Hmm. Also, I just wanted to see if I could do it. And I thought if, if it fails, I, I can tick that off and go, that's something I've done now, you know. And so when I 
first did mostly and stuff I was just doing it for the experience just going I can because I hadn't really traveled around the country much either I'd just been in Kettering hmm. so like I was like going to Hitchin was exciting <laughs> like oh, it yeah. was genuinely like I'm gonna go to to King's Cross and I'll be in King's Cross station in London and then I'll get to get the train and go to Hitchin and it was like mm. genuinely exciting and I'll get to stay on this person's house I've never met them before it was yeah, genuinely yeah. an exciting thing rather than just kicking around the same streets that I had been my entire life up until mm. that point so like mm. it was just a bit of fun and then you know because I have this kind of you know having my brain works where once I get stuck into something, I really get obsessed with it and I want to work on it and improve it. And I really mm. enjoy improving. Mm. So that was stand up really allows for that because you can do a gig every single night. If you want to, you can write new material, you can try it out that night, you can tweak it. So it just was like, really, that was really fun. And then it picks up and you find yourself, you know, suddenly it's your job and you're supporting someone on tour and now you're doing Edinburgh and now you've got your own tour and now you're doing the radio. And, and, and it was all these new challenges and you're constantly doing that. Mm. And now it's got to this point and you kind of do go, well, you know, there was all these other things I always wanted to do anyway, music or write a script or, uh, you know, do a uh, radio show, which now podcasts allow us all to do that whenever we want. Mm. And and you do go, Oh, I can fuck it. I will do that. Or, you know, and the mm. book was like, like that as well. You, and you kind of go, how lucky to be in a job that allows you to do that stand-up comedians kind of like are allowed to kind of like, you know, have a go at that thing and see if you're any good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as I think you approach that uh, in the right way and you're not doing it just to tick something off and you are actually doing it because whatever idea you've got, like the classic scrapes thing wasn't actually my idea. It was the publishers. But as soon as they said to me, like, do you want to, we've seen these on Josh's radio show. Mm. Do you want to make a book of them? I was like, oh, that's easily the best format for those stories mm. is to be in a book. And um, I've only ever suggested a book to the publishers that I thought this has to be a book. Like the last one was like, you know, about all this music I'd listened to. And I was like, the best way to tell this story is in a book. If I do this as a live stand-up show, it won't be good. Um, if I do the, you know, the personal side of the story as a podcast, it won't work. But actually I can do this as a book and it really works. And then the podcast format off the back of that was more suited to being a podcast. And with this one now that I'm doing, it was just like, yeah, this is the best way to do it as a book. So I, I yeah, they contacted me, the publishers who I've got a very good relationship with, but they contacted me at the start of lockdown saying, hmm. any more books? I was like, no, nope, because I didn't have any ideas. And I was like, and then I had, a, when I had an idea, I contacted them. And I think that's the, the rule for this. Everything across the board is yeah. whatever idea you have, what's the best format for it? And then try and follow that and go, right, it's worth doing like this. Not I'm doing it just for the sake of it. Or, like, and like you say as well, it's the commitment that you then give to that idea to make yeah. it. That's kind of, and we, we were always, I know we've always said how impressed we were your commitment to like stand up right from, right from the beginning. Like you'd be like, well, he's gigging like every single night. That's, that's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, yeah, so impressive. Had to. Otherwise, you know, that train journey, so is it. yeah, it's like mm -hmm. so expensive. Exactly. So it's it like, worthwhile. you ought to be there for a few days and get a load of gigs in and then it's like, okay, that's more worth it. Yeah. Actually, I used to find catering particularly, it's quite expensive, that line into London. Yeah. I know, and I've done gigs that way and it was like, oh, you know, you really have to pick the time of day to go. You What's can't it? just Midland, go. Midland oh, mainline, man, they fucking yeah. rinse you. That's it. <laughs> That's their tagline, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, what's it like to write fiction for the first time, as in like total fiction, if that's what you're doing? What's that like? How are you finding it? Really fun. A new Obviously, you know, my stand-up shows used to be these kind of mixture of fiction and truth. And this is kind of that, you know, right. it's, it's, it's about certain elements of it are the overall concept of it is true, but everything is made up in it. So, right. you know, everything else is made up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just been a, again, you just have to, that thing about doing a work in progress. So right now I'm like second draft and it, it's, it's shit. 
<laughs> and it's good and it's going to be uh, but you write that knowing that so like first mm. draft never show it to anyone it's going to be embarrassing second draft is just um, everything second draft onwards i love first draft is horrible and you just have to like get from a to b somehow yeah. and it just feels like ugh. and then everything after that is tweaking honing polishing and, and i love that i love just going over it in the second and going okay this is rubbish and here's how i'm gonna uh you know improve it and, and whatever and this one's just because it's just pure silliness at the moment like my stand-up shows used to be when when they were like you know the the undercover cop one or something yeah. just silliness to begin with and then the more you do it the more you realize oh actually i'm writing about this or there's this kind of poignant moment that uh, that i an opportunity for a poignant moment there so maybe i'll do that yeah uh so obviously with the more i do with this uh book i'll notice more opportunities for stuff the subject matter is definitely there's a lot there to make any social commentary or whatever if i want to so um yeah it's mainly just that thing of like it's like limitless what you can do yeah because it's fiction Mm. And that can be intimidating. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to do at the minute is just like I do stand-up shows and just make myself laugh and just write stuff that I think is funny mm. and then be honest with myself the next time I go around and draft it, if I still think it's funny or not. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. if it still translates and keep on making it clearer, clarifying stuff for people who read anyone in my my head so that yeah. they get the joke. Um, opportunities for more jokes, uh, character development, all that stuff. And so like it, that's kind of just approaching it like a fun new thing. Mm-hmm. rather than I, I find it more stressful if i've got to recreate something i've already done yeah, yeah. but the uh the joy of doing something new hmm. uh is great because it feels like you can only improve you can only win uh whereas like yeah trying to recreate something you did i don't know i i, I don't know really know how people do that yeah yeah mm-hmm. so this is a bit like the thing you were saying because I, I had this as well being in a band it's like if you have the perfect band if that ends you don't want to just try and you know make a band out of nothing with people that just don't work. It's not. It's not. So certain things just have to be a certain way, don't they? Really, for it to work. Yeah. Also with bands, it's like when bands have those like amazing albums that come out. I'm really fascinated with the follow-up albums all the yeah, time. Yeah. Whenever they have these like monumental records, mm. I go, "What did they do next?" Yeah. Sometimes the answer is nothing. They just stop because they like oh. you can't follow that up. And sometimes they try and recreate it, and that never works. And I'm really interested in the bands who go just like so far in the opposite direction and go because they want their audience to know you're not getting that again. Yeah, we yeah. did that for you just now, and but now we're gonna like there's a, a group. Um, well, there was a group called Songs Ohio, uh, who are an amazing band. Uh, if anyone, it, Jason Molina is the main songwriter behind them. Uh, he's he's died now, um, but he he did solo projects under his own name he did a group called magnolia electric company which is also the name of the final songs ohio album it was called magnolia electric company and it's incredible it's this incredible album yeah and then the album that he did after that was a solo album uh called um pyramid something company it was like so almost a similar name to magnolia electric company yeah uh and it was just this drone like drone kind of uh just one guy and an electric guitar, droney, devoid of melody folk songs that were kind of quite hard to listen to. Right. And I just, and even though I don't like it as much as Magnolia Electric Company, I was like, I get what he's doing and I love that he's done that, that he's gone. Yeah. You know all those really nice kind of like, kind of alt country rock songs that I did on that old one with, with these beautiful melodies and harmonies. Here's the opposite of that. Yeah, and don't yeah. ever expect me to do that again. <laughs> and it yeah. was like, I, I, I really like it when people do that. That's what someone, yeah. Kinger in the chat says, that's the difference between a people pleaser and a creative artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And uh, I, I think for me, the kind of, I guess the best 
musicians are the ones who manage to be both in a way. So who who are, mm. who are a creative artist, but aren't just thinking about what they want to do. And they are putting themselves yeah. in the shoes of an audience member, even if it's yeah. themselves. So they're not trying to please the audience and do what the audience are demanding because the audience don't know what they want necessarily, but yeah. at least being like, yeah, if I was listening to this, would I enjoy it? It's that Sergeant Pepper thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, let's be a different band. Let's make that the way of making this work rather than just yeah. going for it. Yeah. I love, yeah. I mean, that's one of the best. That's kind of almost the golden example of it, I guess. It's like going, fuck, with the biggest band that has ever existed. Yeah. What do we do next? Let's make ourselves a different band. We've just done Revolver. Yeah, <laughs> you know? let us just be yeah. a different band entirely. What's um, your um, opinion on Dylan? Because obviously he's turned 80 the other day. What, how, how's, what's your relationship with him? Do you, yeah, do you I've not fan? got enough of it. My dad is like, you know, he's one of my dad's favourite ever recording artists. And uh, Nish Kumar, who obviously you guys know, yeah. is one of his favourite ever ones. And my dad's, one of my dad's favourite conversations he's ever had is <laughs> sitting down with Nish and talking about Dylan. And he still brings <laughs> it up to me sometimes. And I was like, oh, that's such a nice conversation. Like, yeah, I'm glad, Dad, that you, bond, <laughs> bond, that you bonded, bonded with, with Nish else. so well. Um, <laughs> but like... Uh, I've never like I've I've listened to Dylan obviously, but I've never. It's one of those people that's like I'm at some point going to fully dive into Dylan. I've listened all the way through to Blonde on Blonde, yeah. Blood on the Tracks, you know, and stuff like that, and liked them. But mm. then I've not like gone over them and over them. And then yeah, yeah. obviously, the iconic you know Judas gig and stuff like that uh, is almost just knowing about that. Hmm. is is enough to be inspired by Dylan knowing that he did that at some point and pissed yeah. that many people off and he was right at the end of it as yeah. well and that, and that they now look like dicks for shouting that out and doubting him <laughs> yeah. is like almost almost the dream for any creative person is that you uh, you are brave hmm. enough to make that that bigger change hmm. even in the face of uh even your fans rejecting you yeah yeah uh and then you know, time goes on and it's seen as being this amazing decision and you create some of your best work yeah. and uh, and that you give yourself this, like, you know, second chapter in your career. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of stuff, I think, there's probably not a creative person since Dylan who doesn't refer to that story in their yeah. head, and even if they haven't listened to his music and use it as, as encouragement to do what they want, I think. Because you take it for granted that it all worked out fine, don't you? But the fact is, he didn't know. He was just taking, you know, doing what he did and taking the risk, which is... Oh, man, if, 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 I, if I'd done a gig and people were shouting that shit at me <laughs> yeah, and I'd tried know. something new with stand-up, I don't think I would have come out and gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. time will tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be the victor. <laughs> I'd come up and go... Well, that's it. I'm going yeah. down in history as being a fucking idiot. So, like, yeah, yeah good on it. There's a um, statement in the um, chat that yeah. Emma Hawes says, uh, there's so much incredible music out there, it just sucks that it's impossible to hear it all. But it's, sure. I mean, it's, I sort of kind of, which, yeah, I think I'm a bit yeah. like that. I'm, I'm always kind of listening to people going, talking about incredible music and thinking, why haven't I? Well, it's because, Glenn, uh, you, mean, bought, you bought Tubby Tubby Say Eto well, and tried to, tried to justify that, you know. it to me. <laughs> Fuck's sake. The things I have to put up with with this man. But it's, but I'm, see, I'm yeah. really bad. I'm really bad at committing to an artist or an album or anything like that I, I hear a song and I like a song and that's kind of it but if you told me a lot of the time who asked me who it was by I'd be like I don't know I just like that that song just a mm -hmm. nice song I'm I'm not very good at uh, the sort of I've been like working on it for about yeah um, I don't know how many years tried. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah tried yeah nearly 20 years of just like no Glenn this is the right thing. but <laughs> yeah yeah I've had Dylan as well my recommendation to you is Time Out of Mind if you've not heard it which is one he did in like the mid 90s mm -hmm. I actually like when artists get older I, I like the trick because you know there's that, that sort of cliche that oh yeah when you're young and you live fast and you die young and you know all the best stuff is your early stuff and okay yeah you have like the drive then because you've got the energy but mm -hmm. I, you know, I like to hear what they, how they feel about 
like aging or whatever it might be and time out of mind is a really powerful like it's sort of recognizing mortality but yeah he was only 56 at the time so it's like it's not well, even that yeah. old but it's great so that's my recommendation to you if you haven't okay. heard it thank you there was a question on the um chat from mandy groves who said what is your favorite song right now right now, right this now. very second great <laughs> great question mandy groves <laughs> Um, what is, do you know what? I want to refer to my iTunes because I've been listening to a, a lot of stuff and I, and I, I want to get this question correct. I've got to get the right answer. We'll know if it's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like what is actually... Well, actually, oh, yeah, is that... Jesus, can that be my answer? I'm not sure it can. Go with uh, what you it, feel. Like, You're filtering. Well, there's, it. Well, there's, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I'm still recording the podcast about the music of 2016. And mm, yeah. uh, I'm still, so I'm still, I mean, look, I bought over 700 albums that came out that year. So I am still <laughs> listening to those albums a lot because mm. you never fully, it takes a long time to digest that much music. Does that include so, stuff like, I mean, sort of real popular, popular music stuff? Sort of like England would buy. But yeah, what I'm, yeah. Saying, what I'm saying is like Little Mix or, or is there oh, someone like that. Is it kind of included? As long as I like it, yeah. yeah. So anything that I only bought albums that I liked. Oh, so, okay. you know, I bought Rihanna's album from that year, yeah. Beyonce, you know, so it's great pop music. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, if I didn't like, you know, Little Mix's album, I wasn't buying it just for the sake of, you know, because that, that, that's yeah. not an achievement. <laughs> Anyone could have done that. Yeah, but like yeah. uh, that many albums that I liked. Um, mm. At the minute, the stuff I'm listening to, oh fuck! I just started off my music like that. Play it to um, us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here it, it comes. Uh, so the, 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 the something I've been listening to a lot lately has been uh, a TV soundtrack for a show called Over the Garden Wall, which I would really recommend watching that oh, okay. show. It's right, uh, ten, I think, ten ten-minute episodes, so you can mm. watch it like one film in one evening. It's an animated series that was on Cartoon Network uh, about two half brothers who get lost in the woods and it's like full of you know magical creatures and talking animals and stuff like that oh. uh, but genuinely funny like funny jokes that are in there as well and amazing music i watched it on uh, amazon but i had to buy it off amazon i couldn't find it on any streaming site but i i oh. I, I bought the series um but my way into it was the soundtrack. So the soundtrack came out in 2016 and it was in the top 20 when I looked at it on Rate Your Music uh, Best Albums of 2016. I was like, what's this album? I've never heard of it. Yeah. And it's in the top 20. And this was recently, this is like, you know, this yeah. year I saw it there. I was like, there's a 2016 yeah. album I've not heard of that's been scored that highly on Rate mm. Your Music, which is scored by members of the public. Yeah. And the music is just brilliant all the way through the series. It, it's amazing. And, um, the song that I would say is the one that I keep singing now, uh, and I'm going to have to look about what the name is because there's like over four, there's like forty songs on this soundtrack, um, <laughs> and I'm not good at knowing all of their names. And it's actually not a very good representation of the whole album because it's actually it's in an episode where things shift a bit, so the world changes a bit. So the, it's, the music isn't the same as the rest of it, but it's, it's called uh, "The Fight Is Over," uh, and it's on yeah the Over the Garden Wall soundtrack, which is by the Blasting Company and other musicians. And I think The Fight Is Over is actually sung and performed by Patrick McHale, who's the guy who created the whole series. Uh, mm. And uh, he did this song himself. And just because of where it lands in the series as well and the moment that it is set to, mm. um, it's because, and it's a very short song, so it sticks in my head quite a lot lately. So that's the one, if I wake up yeah, in the, in the middle yeah. of the night mm. or in the morning, that's the song, that's the first song in my head at the minute. It's a really good thing with music, isn't it? I find like when I was on tour and stuff occasionally, however good or bad a show went, to go home and listen to that song is a real sort of um, 
I don't know, it's, it settles your brain and it makes you, I don't know, it just it just reminds you, if you had a shit one, oh, it's not that bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Music is so fucking powerful in how it can change. Best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. good. So, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, when I was like, you know, the whole story behind me getting into music of 2016 is having a bad personal year and not really being able to cope that well during it yeah. and learning how to cope through loads of different things, going to therapy, exercising more, blah, blah, blah. But listening, because I was on tour a lot that year, so I wasn't really, didn't always have time, you know, I couldn't always go to therapy because I was mm. away for large chunks of time or I couldn't go to the gym. And actually... I just booked it out because I just had my terrible review. So I booked out the therapy and you couldn't get in. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get in. I was like, well, what, 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 David F. Graves got every single appointment? But, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I just, uh, listening to music and discovering new music, especially, mm. so great. You know, like, just, you kind of like have this whole thing of uh, not only... Uh, is connecting with songs does that feel good anyway but new music that is coming out now reminding you that there is positive stuff going out into the world right yeah. now and humans are making positive things and good mm. things and uh yeah, yeah and that you know this, this was you know obviously 2016 was like you know trump and brexit and stuff like that which uh mm. for me uh, you know personally weren't spelling out a good world or a nice world yeah. or making me quite yeah. negative about things mm. uh, and then you know going ah. Oh, but this band have made this inspiring, amazing album, and these people have made this amazing cartoon series. Which the, the, mm. to be fair, the cartoon series came out earlier, but the soundtrack 2016. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it, it made me feel way more positive about yeah, yeah. Uh, people and the world in general. Yeah. Do you find it easier to be honest about what you like now you're a bit older, or or have you always been? Because you, I mean, you strike me as quite sort of you know you. Not, not confident with your opinion i mean it in a positive way like you you want to express how you feel about it but do you find because i i don't know for me even with the mccartney thing i wouldn't admit that i liked him to some people because it's like oh mm. it's the cliche and you go actually you yes. get bold you go fuck it no i do like this and i like looking at the bits that aren't so good i don't have to just listen to the beatles stuff i can listen to the other stuff so do you find that do you find it easier to be honest about what you like or do you have you always been like that um i think i always used to say what i liked and be honest about it but i couldn't articulate why i liked it and so people if they wanted to could absolutely destroy me (laughs) so like you know like so if if i if i said to a friend like i was really into new metal when i was a teenager new metal is kind of an an objectively bad genre of music uh (laughs) but i loved it uh, at the time and i would say to a friend who was like you know more into like sludge metal and uh, old school metal. And I know that, you know, or they'd listen to Black Sabbath and stuff that is like, you know, even if you don't like metal, you can kind of go, well, Black Sabbath objectively have written yeah. amazing songs. Yeah. So those people would turn to me and go, what, you like, you like, uh, you know, Taproot or, uh, or, or bands like that? They go, that is shit. And then I wouldn't know how to justify it. I'd be like, oh, but I like, and I'd still carry on saying that I liked them. But I just didn't know how to, and that would get your confidence because people often would say, "Oh, that's rubbish." It's like, you know, they, they point out what they don't like about it, uh, and they, they like say, "Oh, they always do this rhythm all the time," or "The singer sings like this all the time," and that's why I hate it. And you, and you go, "Oh, the singer does sing like that all the time," and they do do those kind of rhythms, <laughs> and so maybe it is bad. Hmm. And now, as an adult, I just see that the things that one person loves about something are the things that another person hates about it. And it's just that you love that thing and they hate that thing. I love how this singer sings. Yeah. You hate how that singer sings. When you point out that that singer sings like that, that doesn't mean you're right, it's shit. 
No. That just means you're right. The singer sings like that. And that's what I like about it. And yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, you not liking it doesn't have to affect how I feel about it at all. And um, definitely through this whole 2016 thing, mm. I felt like that. I got into some albums through bad reviews they got. You know, if a, if a reviewer is good, we've talked a lot about bad reviewers earlier in this podcast. Mm. But if a reviewer is good, they will be able to sum up exactly the essence of something and they can add their opinion whether they think it's good or bad. But if they are a good enough writer, they can get across to someone who won't like it, you know, steer clear of this. And at, while simultaneously getting across to someone who will like it, this is for you, you should listen to it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I was seeing, you know, I saw a guy review an album and he said, I don't like this. It's like, it's like demos, the album. It's like he's made an album and it's all just like demos. And I was like, that sounds fucking great. And I listened to it because I was mm. like, this is, this is awesome. It's like half ideas throughout the whole thing recorded in a really lo-fi way. And that's really endearing. And I enjoy that. And there's loads of other people who enjoyed that album too. But, you know, other people, uh, you know, don't feel the same way. And that's fine. And yeah. uh I definitely learned like doing this podcast now about music, like people will come on and all of them are albums that I love and that mean loads to me. And I'm kind of like, I know, already know what the criticisms are going to be because it's what I love about them. So if people yeah. come on and don't like the albums, I'm not going, what? You can't think that. Or, oh no, yeah. maybe they're right. And this isn't a good yeah. album. Because, you know, the point of the podcast isn't to say if something's good or bad, it's to let the listener know, mm. if you like this sort of stuff, you'll love it. If you don't, you won't love it. Yeah. But here's us talking about music, you know, and, uh, mm. and celebrating new music and treating it with the same kind of sense of reverence that you treat old music you know we don't just need to speak about the classics in in this way we can speak about music that's coming out right now yeah because uh, it is as exciting there's so much going on right now um emma in the chat i think she actually wrote this question on the um the other questions as well but how did you get involved with choose love and edm for edm and when's your next dj set uh i don't have a next dj set planned um but i'd love to um i got involved because they approached me they approached me and asked me and uh it, it, you know often uh you just everything on their own individual merit yeah, yeah they were really cool people they uh, really cared about the cause and um i just yeah i kind of thought yeah it's you know i like djing um mm -hmm. it's it's one evening <laughs> you know get to sit in my <laughs> living room and play a load of songs mm -hmm. and uh so yeah i did it sometimes you know you get asked a lot of different stuff and you just agree based on that the people are going to be cool to work with really so mm -hmm. like you know whether it's a massive thing or a small thing uh it kind of doesn't matter and uh yeah they, they seem cool so i went along with it amazing going back to the questions is one i definitely have to ask um it, this is from uh, georgina aged five and it's actually a quiz question because we've been doing a lot of quizzes in zoom and this is a friend of mine's uh, daughter um see what your answer is so the question is how do you ride horses right uh it's a tough one there is a right answer by the way and this is a this is a five-year-old Oh, really? So it's yeah. like a correct answer? That's correct. Well, as far as she's concerned, in her world vision. Yeah, in her world. <laughs> uh, very carefully, is it something like that? That's what I would say at age five. That's quite a consider. Giddy up is the answer, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Which just reminds me of, there was a friend in my band who one time a horse, he was, like, when he was a kid, bit his ear and his mum stopped it by punching the horse in the face which is always <laughs> sort of stuck in my mind. The idea that's that you a, have to punch. That's a parent's instinct right there. He's that's gonna... it. Punch it in the face. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Punch everything in the face, parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should let you go soon, really, because yeah. it's yeah. it's, get, it's getting late. I, 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 well, I mean, what am I to say? But you should be really fucking proud of what you've done because yeah. you've done so right. many different things. You're so prolific. You're so honest with what you do. And, and it's for us to see 
like you know from when you started and to what you've done it's just incredible yeah it's just great so i i, I don't know oh. i don't know what it says for me to say it i'm going to say it but you should no, you're right it um, means a lot no thanks guys well you too as well you know it's, it's good it's, it's nice i think when you start at the same time as each other yeah. uh it's something that it's quite hard for i don't know it's, it's not hard for anyone else to understand it's quite easy for us to understand but you know like when, when you start out in stand-up and it's such a weird experience, the open mic circuit. Mm-hmm. And those people who you are on that circuit with, it's that thing, even the people you don't know that well, you know, that is for the rest of your life. You all shared that yeah. weird experience together. And it is a thing where like, you know, I, I've, I've, walked, I've been walking down the street and seen someone that I haven't seen since 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. but I did a bunch of gigs of them back then. And uh, you just do a U-turn and it'll be like, you, know, you <laughs> shout them and go, do you want to know what they're up to? Because yeah. you all went through this, just bizarre, exciting, but scary. And at times, you know, soul destroying experience together. Yeah, it's weird. We were saying earlier, actually, it is sort of a golden age in terms of people because we had coming through us, we had obviously had you and people like Josh and Nish and and Nick Nick Helm, people like that. There was a sort of huge contingent of people who all just sort of all collectively went on and just have done so, so well. So it's sort of, yeah, you feel kind of sort of proud in a way having been people that have <laughs> ran a you know as much as proud we were kind of gigging we were running a, running a comedy club so you sort of had to see people sort of all coming from that place and all but it was an invaluable space mostly comedy was like one of the ones where you know i think i did my first hour one of my first hour long sets there yeah I remember you know that, yeah. before i even had a show uh me and trent did like a double header together oh, yeah. uh yeah, you yeah. know a, a space that isn't on your home turf that you can travel to and try the next step at mm. uh, in front of an audience who are supportive but aren't going to just let you get away with doing any old shit uh mm. is really really invaluable especially when it's outside of london as well yeah, uh, yeah. and that, that's not going to be just a london-centric crowd yeah. um i i think is is so important and uh yeah it was it was a, one of those rare gigs that um you kind of go well whatever happens there that's going to be a useful show like you know <laughs> whatever you know whether the gig goes bad or not uh, or, or good or whatever, you know, this is going to, you know, help me improve. And uh, when you're starting out and even yeah. into, you know, doing all my solo shows at Edinburgh and doing work in progresses at Mostly and stuff like that, it's just, it was one of the really, really useful gigs. And it's hard to put one of those on. So, you know, thank you. Thank oh, you, guys. Thank you for doing Thanks. it. Thank you for... yeah. I remember the, your first message when you sent, I think it was on uh, MySpace, asking to do the gig, and you said, P.S., I'm not a dick. So that, yeah, was the, that was the thing that made me go, yeah, okay, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I did that to a lot of people. <laughs> it I works. Thought, yes, I'm not a dick because, yeah, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> In fact, there's, there is a there, there was a question from Evie who said, "What's your best advice for someone trying to start out uh, writing stand-up comedy? Just you know, just say you're not a dick, and then you'll get gigs. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of the way, it, say, the way it works. Make sure yeah. everyone knows you're not a dick. Yeah. I mean, uh, writing stand-up comedy. I mean, I I, w- I would say um, just like, but I mean, it's, it's almost redundant advice at the moment. Uh, yeah. but like yeah. uh, just like book gigs so mm. like you know uh, like for me also all any comedian can like give us their advice based on their own personal experience and mm. it's never the right advice either like really I guess you know the best advice I was given when I started out in stand-up was Josie Long told me to try out every single idea that I had mm. um, while no one can judge me and then I'll figure out you know the right path for me so you know i was writing stuff verbatim i was improvising stuff you know i was making like bullet point notes and stuff like that so like you know i just i just tried everything at the beginning mm. and i'd say yeah if, if you are thinking what how can i get started in this the good thing about stand-up as opposed to you know 
with acting or something, you have to wait to get an acting job or something yeah. like that. But with stand-up, you can just book loads of gigs. You can email people, tell them you're not a dick. Some <laughs> of them will book you. Some of them won't. I got some curt replies from some people telling me we don't know you if you know, fuck off or whatever. Uh, I, I, okay. Well, that was some... that was Glenn, I think, saying that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't let it deter me. I turned up anyway. But like, <laughs> um, but just like book yourself loads of gigs and then just try as many different approaches as possible and see what feel and just be honest with yourself from then on to mm. see if that felt right or not don't always try and tell yourself that was good and the audience were rubbish like uh yeah, yeah. try and be honest with yourself was that what i wanted to do or not like you know one of the examples i've talked about with you guys and i've talked about on other podcasts now is an early mostly comedy gig where there was a guy there who was heckling me a lot yeah and my comebacks to him were pretty brutal and <laughs> They were getting big laughs in the room, but I went away from the show going, I don't want to do that ever again. I don't yeah. want to put someone down that harshly uh, mm. when I don't feel they deserve it just so I can survive the gig. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I, I didn't... It's a, it's a lot of mistake-making early on in those days, and you're just mm. trying out every, every single thing. But uh, the most valuable gigs are when you come away and go, actually, I won't do that thing again that I did tonight. Mm. Uh, and, and, and you decide that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, the comics who I started out with who would always come away and go, no, I'm fucking brilliant, and this lot just don't know what funny is, and none of, none of them are doing stand-up anymore. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a bit like that, you know, like when you do like a maze, like a kid's maze, to, you know, like drawing thing. It's like shading in all the dead ends to go, oh, that's the path you got to yeah. take, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to go wrong. You know, yeah. Because otherwise it's just... to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just been safe, isn't it? Don't listen to the careers advisor as well. That's probably the other good bit of advice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no one ever goes to the careers advisor and gets told, I'll tell you what job you're good for is a careers advisor. I was advisor. just going to say That's never that. what people <laughs> yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, how do you go? I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much, James. And, and yeah. it's, it's good to hear that you're doing so many exciting new things and we look forward mm. to seeing and hearing them. But take care. And sorry for all the people, so many questions we could have asked and didn't have time. But we're doing it. We've time for one more if you want to do okay. one more. Uh, but like, uh, yeah. I'm just trying to find one now. I'm just looking. Uh, There's lots of comments, lots of nice comments on here. Uh, do you feel comedy can be successful in challenging and changing problematic social conventions stroke norms? This is a this is a light one to end on. Uh, if that is something that should be attempted at all. So do you feel it can change things? Do you think comedy can change things or, or deal with problematic things? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't think that that's what it should always do. I think the main things that people like always kind of with stand up, uh, people go on and on about as if there's just one right way to do it. And uh, people can go on about stand up should always be challenging stuff and, and changing things. And then other people being like, you shouldn't be trying to do that with stand up. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can do anything you want with stand up. That's why I love watching stand up and why I'm such a fan of other comedians is because you get to watch someone do something completely stupid yeah. one night. And then someone just something really, you know, something that can change your mind or, or like, you know, make you think about things differently another mm-hmm. night. You know, uh, obviously stand-up comedy on its own can't just transform things, but nothing on its own really can a lot of the time. But like, um, you can definitely change people's minds. I've, I've watched, you know, I've been to see comedians who have changed my mind about important political or social issues and made me th- or maybe go away and think about them in a different way. And yeah, definitely anyone with a platform uh, where they get to stand up in front of a room full of people and speak to them, uh, you do have that opportunity. Mm. Um, it's just then what you do with that, you know, that's responsibility. You have to uh, be responsible. Mm. Um, so, you know, some people really think through what they're going to say when it comes to really big, important issues, and they uh, articulate it really well. Other people uh, don't. And both of those people 
can influence the audience, inspire people and change people's minds uh, for better or for worse. And so, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's important if you are a comedian and you're writing that kind of stuff, if it's about genuinely about the issues and that's what, and you want to write about those issues, fine. If it's about you, maybe back off of it. If it's about you being right and being this godlike figure, and uh, you want to, you know, be there enact, you know, not enacting change, but in this like almost like making the world the way you want it to be, you know. If it's too much about the ego, put that material to one side and just do some silly stuff or just do whatever. But like, if you genuinely are really passionate about those subjects, of course you can enact some sort of change with your comedy. Um, what won't happen is that you know, whenever things do eventually change, people aren't going to go, <laughs> and it was all because of that routine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. not going to be that. Yeah. yeah. But individuals and, and stuff like that, you know, yeah, definitely. There's, mm-hmm. there's opportunity for that. One tiny, silly question that I should ask. What's the largest animal you could take in a 1v1? That's from Will G. Yeah, great, great question. Uh, the largest, I mean, you know, you'd feel bad fighting any animal. Um, I didn't, <laughs> wouldn't, you know, I'd feel pretty bad. <laughs> punching an animal uh, or fighting one proper. I mean, there's a lot of pretty ferocious ones. I mean, obviously, trying to think of like a large animal that is basically <laughs> docile and doesn't really fight back. Cap- capybara, um, maybe capybara. Then... I'd say like, to be honest, like a beached, if a blue whale was beached, <laughs> I could mm. probably just go and get a few rounds. It's not really going to be able to do much. Uh, it's still technically alive, and yeah. it's, but it's you know it's, it's on my turf. I'm not gonna go in the sea and fight a blue whale. I'm not an idiot, but like I would probably just like stand on the beach and get a few, yeah. stand in its blind spot and like just get a few digs. Do you not think yeah. that's a bit like the story you were saying about the the gig with us and the guy? And the, isn't that a bit like that though? You walk away going, "What the fuck have I done? I just punched." Oh, it. listen, I wouldn't feel Is good it? about it. Listen, no. I'm not coming on <laughs> your podcast and saying, "Do you know what, guys? I really want to fight an animal." Like yeah. this, this has been put to me by someone else and I've got to choose an animal to fight. Uh, I'm not saying I would want to fight a blue whale. I don't, I don't want to beat up a blue whale. If I did walk, if I was walking down the beach one day and I saw a beach blue whale, I would phone the authorities. I would phone Greenpeace and I would get it sorted. I wouldn't go, well, now's my chance to get a few digs in and beat a blue whale in a fight. Um, however, in this hypothetical scenario, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's the answer. I'm, go- I'm going with the biggest mammal in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not on its own, an away game for it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I think I could beat it. Yeah. Thanks, James. Um, take care, and we'll see you soon. Hopefully, not punching whales. Horses. Yes. Go for horses. Apparently, that's fine. Right in the face. Well, yeah. It. Yeah. It's got a good well, shape. Yeah, if I ever too. have any kids, I'll take out all the horses in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Preemptive strike. That's the thing. Yeah. Thank you, James. We'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thanks see very you much, later, guys. Cheers. Pleasure as always. So that was James Acaster and Glyn Doggett and David Fgrave as and well. Us. And us yeah. there. Yes. Good chat, though. They're Good lovely. chat. Re- really nice. Um, and you could tell as well, I mean, because we had the chat uh, window going as well. And there were so, as we say, I think, so many questions that were coming mm. through. But he's someone that inspires a real sort of loyalty and a real sort of fan base. And it's, it's interesting on the sort of inside. Because, again, when it's someone you know, and when it's someone you know from a certain place, you know from just being a guy that did the gig in the George pub in Hitchin, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny to see... And I mean, in a good way, but to see now, you know, he's a Sunday Times twice times bestseller with his books, all the shows he's done, you know, and touring around the world. And these people are like, oh, God, you know, I've just had my question read, 
you know to hear yeah. my name mentioned it's really it's really nice it's nice when you see that and and with james it's someone who's very deserved i would say oh yeah absolutely i think that's what we kind of said on the, the interview but is he is so deserving of that kind of of everything all the success he's had and because he works hard mm. at it because he, he you know he that's been his thing and we said it we said it years ago when we felt like we're saying i'm not saying like we we, we discovered him years ago yeah as in we, we knew before we, we anyone knew, but we sort of knew years ago how hard he was how hard he was how hard he worked <laughs> that's what that's what <laughs> i tell you when i do when i do the trailer for this that's the only thing we use we knew how hard he was glenn doggett in shocker erection <laughs> story i mean always at this point of the night where um my brain is yeah. sort of half working now you've, you've worked hard to like disguise the tiredness and now yeah. you're just like oh, i've got nothing left now no but you know but you know what i'm saying i think i said it anyway i'm only repeating yeah. what i've already said and people have already heard me say but it, yeah, yeah i yeah we, he, he was a hard worker he did a lot of gigs and we were always yes. saying oh my god he's gigging literally every night but it paid mm. off you know it definitely paid off so absolutely and and well deserved too yeah and still as he always was mm. a real like special one-off act um he yeah. was just always brilliant so it, it's uh, well. yeah. also a, a lovely point of note because we've sadly uh, lost a friend of ours so mostly comedy um katie coxall who used to play mostly um in the very early days possibly with james on the same bill but james has offered uh, for his fee to go to the hospice garden house hospice as a thing for katie coxall so that's a nice little uh, touch and I, yeah. I know she really liked him so uh, you mm. know he's a good person to avoid so that's a nice thing um but yeah, so that was uh, a lovely chat. Um, we've got lots of other lovely chats you can listen to. Um, all kinds of people, Rory Bremner, Jan Ravens, Bobby Davro, um, Josh Widdicombe, all kinds of people, really, yeah. which are available um, in the usual places where you find your podcasts, where you found this, in fact. Absolutely. And do check out, there's a, there's a whole load of new, more recent ones, and there's a whole load of older ones on there with, and again, we did interview James years ago when we yeah. were at one of our venues back Market in 2013 Theater. or 14. I think it was I think. 13, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, go back and listen to that as well. That's uh, always an interesting thing to go yeah. sort of look back at. And also, I mean, the exciting thing, depending on where you listen to this, hopefully, if the COVID restrictions have been lifted as they're supposed to, and we're currently in 2021, as I say this, um, we'll be reopening our doors, hopefully in July, doing live shows again, but also returning to the live podcast aspect. So the thing we did for the first and only time, sadly, so far, with Kate Robbins and Norman Lovett back in February 2020, um, we'll be doing that again. We've got Zoe Lyons on it. We've got Phil Cornwell, uh, mm -hmm. all booked for the moment, Simon Day. So we'll be able to do these interviews in front of an audience again, which will be really nice. And I'm looking forward to learning about you because we've sort of had this, it's like a weird sort of... Um, rehearsal or sort of getting used to again the idea of interviewing people because yes. that one we did you know it was good but obviously it's a bit pressured so it'd be really nice to hopefully keep that same level of relaxed conversation mm. but in front of an audience with an audience be... and we actually get people asking questions live in the room so that's yeah. quite exciting the whole kind of setup of it is kind of what we what we plan to do in the first place not that this hasn't been amazing but um mm. it will be nice to do some live interviews with an audience there as well and you could be there if you go to mostycomedy.co.uk. We will be doing this uh, ad infinitum or whatever the um, forever is what I'm trying to say. I don't, <laughs> I don't, don't very again. Like Glenn at this stage is talking about erections. I, I go into Latin. I know. I'm like this I'm time impressed. Of the I'm impressed yeah. that that's the yeah where you've gone. <laughs> so it's the only thing I know really. I don't, and I didn't even know that. I got it wrong. Um, 
But yeah, so thank you for listening to this. And uh, if you liked it, maybe like it. Do that physical likey thing and share it and pass it around. Because, you know, other people might like it too. And it's all about spreading the word of comedy, keeping things going. And it's just nice to have more people listen to it, really. But that's enough of me rolling on. And yeah, thank you. And we'll see you next time for more, more than mostly comedy. Yes. Confusing, very confusing. Bye. Bye.